Well, good morning to you. I'm Louis Torres. I guess you already assumed that or guessed that. I'm uh, presently what is called the Vice President of Mission College. How many of you have heard of Mission College? Any of you? Okay. Uh, those of you who have not heard of Mission College, uh, Mission College is the, the founder of the three and a half month training program uh, that uh, AFCO and ARISE are actually students that graduated from Mission College that went and started uh, ARISE, David Asherick, and AFCO was started by Annie Kerr, who was also a graduate of Mission College. So these other schools are, I guess you can say, daughters of Mission College. Mission College is the actual um, founder. And uh, it's been running since 1996. And since that time, by the way, there are other programs that have started. Uh, one is in Germany called Josiah. Any of you have heard of uh, Josiah? Any of you speak German? All right, well, I see that we're all Americans here. Now, <laughs> Uh, Josiah is a school in Germany, started again by one of the graduates of Mission College, Pastor uh, Michael Dumbrach. And uh, then another school started in uh, Switzerland. So in Switzerland, near Bern, Switzerland, there's another branch. So any of you want to learn evangelism and you want to learn it in a European setting, you can go to Josiah or go to the Mission College Swiss branch. Uh, there's also one in Norway. And so uh, and presently there's, there was a work uh, to try to start one in Australia. And so that's uh, going on as we talk. So uh, the purpose for Mission College was to get people trained in a speedy preparation. Uh, I read a statement, my wife and I, when we began to think about Mission College, what we did was uh, in 1978, probably before some of you were born, we. Uh, sat down and decided that uh, a school was needed in these last days because it says that in the last days the Spirit of God will be poured upon His people. Many will leave the plow and they will need a few months of training. That's a statement. And so we thought two is a couple, three is a few. But to make sure we put a half, three and a half months. And so that's the idea of the three and a half month program. And we got the idea from when I was in the military. Uh, in the military, they train you in six weeks. It's called basic training. And then 10 weeks is called AIT, advanced individual training. Okay? So that's 16 weeks. And so in 16 weeks, you, you can get a ghetto kid, you can get a hillbilly, you can get anybody in the military and train them for whatever occupation, an MOS, military occupation status. And, and train them as a medic or train them as a, a truck driver or as a, a, a guiding missiles, uh, etc. And so uh, we thought if the military can train hillbillies and ghetto kids uh, in, in 16 weeks to become whatever, why can't with the help of the Holy Spirit we train workers for God in three and a half months? Does that make sense? And so that's what's happened and uh, praise God. Uh, many of you have heard of uh, Jeffrey Rosario, uh, Jamil Rosario, uh, Luke Whiting, all those kids went through Mission College. So they're all graduates of Mission College. Did you know that? How many of you knew that? How many of you did not know that? Welcome. Okay, now at this present time, let's go into the subject, but before we do that, can we pray together? Let us bow our heads. Our Father, 
Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here together. Bless our time together and grant us to draw nearer to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we begin uh, with the topic on at hand, and that's uh, getting rid of the fear. First of all, Jesus said back in the, in the book of Mark, chapter 16 and verse 15, go ye into what? All the world and do what? And uh, preach the gospel to every creature, correct? So it says, go ye into all the world and do what? And preach, okay? Now, the word preach, uh, it's an interesting word. And this morning, one of the things that I, that I will have to do in order to help you with that idea of either you getting rid of your fears or you learning to motivate others to get rid of their fear is one of the first things that needs to happen is to get rid of what is called misconceptions. Get rid of what? Misconceptions. misconceptions. The reason for, for that is because when you have misconceptions, they become formidable barriers to keep you back from what God can do through you and for you. Okay? So, uh, many times we have misconceptions that are honest, sincere misconceptions, but it doesn't matter how sincere or honest they are. If they are in your mind, they will hinder you from what God can do for you and through you. So, one of the misconceptions is this word preach. Most of the time when you think of the word preach, most people think that the word preach has to do with a, f a formal presentation by some professional up front or somebody who's, quote, gifted to preach. But that misconception is not biblical. It is a misconception. Uh, if we look at the word preach, let me show you how it shows up. In English, it shows up preach. When you read your Bible, that's what you will read. You'll read that word preach. But uh, look at the Hebrew and the Greek. I'm going to show you the, the uh, different words in the actual language. Notice that in Isaiah, the word preach means to bear news, and it's basar. Yet uh, Jonah, he cried, which means he was preaching, right? But notice it says that the word is kara. Can you see that? Then when you go to, to the Greek uh, in the New Testament, you find uh, the word preach, and is diagelo. Uh, and the English word that we get from diagelo is what? Dialogue, exactly. Uh, then to preach, uh, uh, it means to speak, laleo in Acts 16.6. Also, it can mean to publish abroad, be a herald, which is Caruso. And I think you've heard of the great Caruso, the great tenor singer. All right? Maybe that's beyond you to before your time. But anyway, uh, another one is to promulgate, to make known, kat agelo. And the last one is announce good news, which is where we get the word evangelism. Okay? But if you notice that all, of, all the, these words uh, in the Greek are different, Laleo, Caruso, Catagalo, Geliso, all of these words are different, but in English they're all translated preach. Now, if we get what this is saying then, preaching can be done by just talking, by, by uh, dialoguing, by simply carrying, crying, bearing good news. In other words, uh, you can do preaching in any forum, in any setting. Right now, I am 
Preaching. Preaching, okay? And basically, preaching has to do with bearing the good news. Has to do with what? Bearing, bearing the good news. So, if you're sitting with somebody on the bus and you begin to talk about the Lord, you are? Preaching. Preaching, exactly. If you're giving a Bible study, you are? Preaching. If you get out in the street and begin to talk about the Lord, you are? Preaching. If you stand up in front of a congregation, you are preaching. If you're having an evangelistic meeting, you are preaching. preaching. So the question then is this, how many of us can preach? All of us. How many? All. All. See? If you look at it from the biblical perspective. But if you look at it from a misconception, then you think that preaching has to do with a special gift that somebody gets and therefore they preach. That is a misconception. Yes, sir. What's that? Is singing in tongues preaching? If you're singing in Spanish or Greek or something, yes. If you're singing God's Word. I don't believe that it's just a one specific language. I think that that is a heavenly language like the angelic. I'll sit with you and... Well, I already, I already know we disagree. If you want to try and convince me otherwise. So, let, me sit, let me sit with you later on. Because I already believe differently that, that, that they are really just speaking in tongues like the not the same as the Pentecostals because they get carried away, but similar to, I would stand towards their argument before believing that it's Spanish or Greek or English or so forth. If you're preaching the Word of God, in whichever mode you're doing in, you're preaching. Okay? All right. And so you see then that preaching then has to do with who? Who should preach? Yeah, if you read it, who is it talking to? In other words, if you open up the Bible and you read it, who is it talking to? To whoever's reading it, right? Notice Revelation 22, what does it say? And the Spirit and the Bride say, and let them that hear. Repeat that again. And the Spirit and the Bride say, and let them that hear. Now, how many of you skipped the word say to begin with? Huh? Yeah. The reason, it's interesting. A lot of people misquote that text. They leave the word out. Say. Okay. So, let's read it again. And the Spirit and the Bride. Read it with me. And the Spirit and the Bride say, come. And let him that hear say, come. Okay, so how many of you have heard? How many of you have heard? All right. So how many of you should say? How many of you are not raising your hands? Okay. You see, misconceptions. What did I say? Misconceptions. And that's why you're here. So let's continue on and find out then that in reality... When I read the words of Christ, it is speaking to whom? Me. To me. If I read, go you and preach, who is it talking to? Me. To me. If you read it, who is it talking to? You. But most of the time, we don't think of a personal application. When we read some of those passages, we're thinking about somebody who's specialized or who is training in, etc. But let's go through quickly through some of these misconceptions and also uh, tell you what the actual counsel is. Number one, the words spoken by Jesus Christ are to be what? Repeated, Repeated by those who? 
believe them. Those who have genuine faith will make it evident by working for souls who are in darkness. So those who have genuine faith will make it evident. But if you don't make it evident, then what does that mean? Is your faith genuine or not? Okay, that's something that you'll have to answer for yourself, okay? Everyone who hears is to what? Repeat. Repeat the invitation. Whatever one's calling in life, his first interest should be to what? How many of you are nurses? Any nurses here? All right, your first, your first call is to do what? To be a good nurse or to be a good witness? Which one? Okay. Any of you doctors here? Any doctors here? All right, well, the first calling is? Witnessing. In other words, any mechanics here, plumbers, builders, students, all right, your first calling is to witness, all right? It says, you may not be able to speak to congregations, but you can work for individuals. To them, you can communicate the instructions received from the Lord, okay? Every soul who has accepted this truth should make personal efforts for the salvation of friends, relatives, and neighbors. Even in the apostolic times, you know, another misconception is that, that during the apostle times, that it was the apostles who were doing the preaching. But I want you to notice something interesting. In the book of Acts it says, those that were scattered went everywhere doing what? Preaching the word, all right? That's the book of Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. But the question is, who were these who were being uh, scattered and preaching? Uh, look at the verse 1. It says, Saul was consenting, which means Saul is that Paul who is not yet preaching as an apostle. He's part of the one that's persecuting the Christians, right? And it says, Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, of course, Stephen had just been killed, a stone. Uh, they were, there was a persecution against the church. And they were all scattered abroad through the regions of Judea and Samaria. And what's the last word there? Except the apostles. So who were the ones scattered? The church. What were the members doing? They were preaching. Okay. So the rank and file of the members are the ones doing the preaching. And it's interesting because when Paul becomes converted, he finds entire churches already established. And he goes and instructs them uh, in greater understanding. But these churches were not established by Paul. They were established by those who were scattered and went everywhere preaching. Now, does that mean then that we have to get persecuted in order to preach? Huh? Well, let me say this. That the reason why they were persecuted was because they were preaching. You see, the Bible says that all the believers were witnessing daily. Doing what? Witnessing daily. And it was because of that witness and the power that God brought upon the people uh, that created such a stir in Jerusalem that there was a persecution. So if you want to get persecuted, start preaching. Amen. Does that scare you? All right, well, let's continue then. History will be repeated. Notice it says there were how many were seen? Hundreds and thousands were seen visiting what? families and doing what? Opening before them the Word of God. Hearts were convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit and a spirit of genuine what? Was manifest. In other words, my friends, what it's saying is this, that sooner or later this prophetic picture will be realized. Hundreds and thousands will be visiting families 
opening before them the what? The word. word of God. So here's the question. Is somebody who is not opening in the Word of God now be part of this prophetic picture? Obviously, this is not dealing with pastors because we don't have hundreds of thousands of pastors. We have hundreds and thousands of members. So who's going to be doing this? How many of you? By God's grace, what do you say? But when do you have to start? When it, when it happens? No. You see? So, all of us should be sharing the Word of God. Now, it, it, it is a what? Notice the yellow. It is a? Fatal. fatal mistake to suppose. To suppose what? That the work of what? Saving souls depends on whom? On the ordained minister. Now, what does the word fatal mean? Deadly. Deadly. So, if you thought that the work of saving souls belonged to the ordained minister, what have you committed? What kind of a, a, a mistake? A deadly mistake. Deadly to your spiritual life. Correct? How many of you thought this? Any of you? Some of you thought it. Okay? And some of you are not raising your hand because you don't want to know. let somebody know that you thought it. And that's all right. But think of it. Many, many people think that some people are selected to do some special work and the rest of us are only supposed to pay and stay. But that's not the picture that the Word gives us, all right? All who receive, how many? All, all who receive the life of Christ are what? Ordained to work for the salvation of fellow men. Which means then that when you were baptized as a Christian believer, by virtue of your baptism, you've become ordained to work for the salvation of others. How many of you have been baptized here? Can I see your hands? Okay. And so if you were baptized, you already are ordained to do what? To work for your fellow man. Okay. Which means you're ordained to preach. I should add here, just for the sake of clarification, in the Bible there are different ordinations. There are different what? In other words, a king is ordained, anointed to be a king. A prophet is anointed to be a prophet. A deacon is anointed to be a deacon. An elder is anointed to be an elder. And uh, you have to remember that there are different roles that people play in terms of roles as a prophet, a priest, etc. But all were ordained to share the good news. How many? All. All. All right. So, as Christ sent forth his disciples, so today he sends forth the members of his church. The same power that the, that the apostles had is for whom? For whom? For them. For them. Okay. Every true disciple. How many? is born into the kingdom of God as a missionary. missionary. So if you were already born as a Christian, I'm speaking about born again, converted, and you gave your heart to the Lord, and you were baptized, then you were born to be a what? Missionary. A missionary. Okay. He who drinks of the living waters becomes a fountain of life. The receiver becomes a giver. And that is true. How many of you here this morning uh, actually became uh, Christians in the sense that you became Seventh-day Adventist Christians. 
either through baptism in an evangelistic meeting or a Bible study, or you grew up in the church, but finally you were baptized. Can I see your hands? Okay. How many of you grew up in the church? Can I see your hands? Okay. Now, let me ask you the question. When a person, uh, whether he grows up in the church or not, when a person becomes converted, what, what is it that is born in his heart concerning that which he has come to love? Is there born in your heart a desire to go and tell others or to keep it to yourself? Which one? Tell others. Okay. And that's a natural thing that happens. Uh, that's happened with me. Uh, I spent eight years in show business before I became an Adventist. Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Uh, how many of you heard of Bill Haley and the Comets? Any of you? I used to be the bass player for Bill Haley and the Comets. Rock around the clock? How many of you heard of uh, Happy Days? You know the theme song of Happy Days? One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Da, 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 da. Okay. I was the bass player for that group. Okay. Now, I, uh, when I became a Christian, I remember I got so excited about finding about a Christ I couldn't keep it to myself. I just didn't know how to do the, the right thing. I went downtown uh, in Times Square where I used to perform and it stood in the, in the street corner and stopped people to try to talk with them. But I would stop people to argue with them. You know what I'm saying? And so I was uh, really on fire, so much so that I burned people up. But, <laughs> but afterwards I learned how to... Uh, Tone down the fire, you understand? All right? But you're born. You're what? Born. You're born. It's something that happens within inside the individual who finds the source of life. You can't keep it to yourself. You've got to share it. Will you say amen? Amen. All right. So, the signs of Christ's coming are too plain to be doubted. And in view of these things, how many? Everyone. Everyone who professes the truth should be a what? Living creature. So it says how many? Everyone. Everyone. How many? Everyone. Everyone. How many? Everyone. I don't think you're convinced. How many? Everyone. All right. Everyone should be a living preacher. A what? So what about you ladies? Does that include the ladies? Or are you part of the, of the mindset that ladies are not supposed to speak in the church? Yeah, well, that's why it says living preacher, doesn't it? Yeah. So not necessarily everyone is the preacher of the church, but you should find a living preacher and go to that church. Well, the, the point is this. All of us. How many? All, All of us. us should become what? Living, living preachers. Preacher. All right? All of us. Now, I, I should tell you this. that There are folk that, that uh, take the text that uh, the wife should not speak in the church. They should go home and talk to their husbands, right? Let the women be silent. Let them go to their homes and speak to their husbands. Now, there's one problem with that text, and that is that not all the ladies in those days were married. So that means the single women couldn't talk at church and couldn't talk at home because there's nobody to talk to. <laughs> right? Is that true? Because it says, let the ladies go home and talk to their husband. But if you don't have a husband, then you're... Yeah. Poor ladies were dumb all the time. They couldn't talk. Well, the reality is that Paul himself says that uh, both men and women who prophesy in the church, you can read that in the Corinthians, 
men and women who prophesied, he says. So he expected men and women to prophesy. And the prophesying was done where? In the church. Okay? But anyway, just you want the, you want the reference for that? Uh, let me give you the reference. It's in, it's in the uh, First Corinthians. I got to make sure I'm giving you the right reference here. I think the ladies would like that. I, I see the responses from a lady, so. <laughs> All right. But you know, there's there's a there's a a, a lot of misconceptions concerning that, this whole issue of women uh, preaching. All right, chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4 and 5. I'll read it to you. But every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors her head. For that is even all as one as if she were unshaven. Of course, Paul is dealing with the issue of whether you should cover your head or not. Okay? But notice he's speaking about men prophesying and women prophesying. Can you see that? Okay. What he's saying is that uh, if men prophesy that they need to be careful how they prophesy, and if women prophesy, they need to be careful how they prophesy. But the issue is not that they should not, but rather how they do it is important. Alright? But both can prophesy, prophesy and pray. Notice this. Uh, it says, this work belongs just as surely to the what? To the doctor as to the minister. By public and what else? And private effort, the physicians seek to win souls to Christ. I wish I could have a, 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 a course where doctors are trained on soul winning. And nurses. Because I think of our doctors and nurses and our teachers who are trained how to win souls. Man, what a change there would be in our, in our world. What do you say? Amen. All right. So, let me, let's continue then. Why verbal communication then? You see, a lot of people, another misconception is, I don't need to say anything. All I have to do is live my life and people will see that I'm a Christian. How many of you have heard that? Okay. How many of you have felt that? All right. The problem with that idea is that it's, it's a misconception again. Uh, it is true that we ought to live the Christian life. Uh, I had a young man who said, look, uh, all my neighbors need to do is see that I, on, on Sabbath I, I go out and carry a Bible with me and they can know I'm a Christian. And uh, they don't hear rock and roll music in my home and they'll know I'm a Christian. The problem with that is that there are a lot of people who don't listen to rock and roll music who are not Christians, who are atheists, New Agers, and so forth. And there are a lot of people who carry Bibles, so it doesn't necessarily mean they're Christians. And so just because you carry a Bible or you, you don't have a loud music coming out of your, your home doesn't mean that people will automatically assume you're a Christian. Uh, the life, the Christian life, is to be the bait that allures people to ask you questions. Okay, the life is to be the what? The bait that what? Allures people to ask you questions. Uh, notice it says, and they overcame him by what? By the blood of the Lamb, Revelation 12, 11, and what else? By the word of their testimony. See, so what you thinks? Number one, by the blood of the Lamb. And number two, by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives unto death. Romans 10, 10, what does it say? For, for with the heart man, what? Believes unto righteousness. And with the what? Mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So how important is it to confess? 
very important, okay? So it's not just sufficient for us to think that just because we believe, that's all. Or because we live, that's all. We have to verbalize. We have to what? Verbalize. All right? And God has given us that ability to verbalize. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Then it says, how then shall they what? Call upon the name of the Lord. In other words, how can they call upon him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him of whom they have not what? Heard. And how shall they hear without a preacher? They have it. So there are a lot of people, the Bible says, that whosoever shall call upon the Lord, the name of the Lord shall be saved. The question is, how will they hear it? Without somebody telling them. So obviously, there's a part that all of us play in that. Through direct contact, through personal ministry, the blessings of the gospel are to be what? Communicated. Now, to neglect the work of saving souls is a what? It's a what? It's a what? Great sin. Let's move on from that one. We are members one of another, and the soul that refuses to impart will perish. Now, does that make you more nervous? Number one, if you're not witnessing, you're sinning. Number two, if you don't witness, you'll perish. Does that make you nervous? Well, some of you it doesn't. But those of you who are shy and bashful and afraid, what does that do for you? It creates a turbulence inside, right? You mean I'll, I'll be lost if I, don't, if I don't do this? What's the answer? Well, what's the answer? Will you, will you perish, yes or no? Is that what it says? Now, please understand what I'm doing here. I think you have to realize that in order to deal with this thing called fear, we have to figure out why it is that we're fearful. And the consequences that come as a result of being fearful are these kind of things. So, what does God want to do for us? God wants to help us to overcome those fears so that we're not in these kind of binds. All right? So, let's continue and see how we are to do it. First of all, an individual work. Christ commits to his followers a what? Individual work. A work that cannot be done by proxy. Ministry to the sick and the poor, the giving of the gospel to the lost, is not to be left to committees or organized charities. Individual responsibility, individual effort, personal sacrifice is the requirement of the gospel. Now, notice who should be involved. It says, upon the minister, the, the, the individual Christian, whether he be, or, or, or the responsibility rests upon a few. Upon how many? All. All. It is our work to reveal to men the gospel of their salvation. Every, how many? Enterprise in which we engage should be a means to this end. So how many of you work on computers? And the purpose for that computer is to? What's the end of it? I'll read, read it again. Every enterprise in which we should be to this end. So, are you a mechanic? Any mechanics here? 
No mechanics, only one, two. All right, what's the purpose for that? So you can fix cars well? Well, we should be the best that we can in our fields, but the reason for being the best is so that we can come in contact with people that we can share the good news with. Do you understand? So when I fly on the plane, all right, and I sit next to people, I try to figure out how to witness. So you know what I do? I either get, open up my computer, and I don't have one of those block things that the block, what, what you can read on the computer. I have a full blazing, see? So I turn to Daniel chapter 2, and I, I look at it and, and, uh, and type on some things, and pretty soon they're asking me questions. You see? You understand what I'm saying? Huh? And so uh, I was flying, and I was typing away, you know, and uh, I'm writing another book. And the, uh, after we landed, the guy says, uh, he was sitting right across, he said, uh, I noticed you were typing and writing something. What do you write? I said, I'm, I'm a Christian writer. Oh, he said, uh, yeah, I was noticing. Oh, I knew he was noticing because I noticed, you know, from the corner of the eye, I could see him kind of really. <laughs> so I said, what do you do? Well, I write uh, computer programs and all that. I said, wonderful. So uh, we began to talk, and uh, long story short, he does a Bible study in his home. And uh, so I said, well, wonderful. I said, uh, let me share some things with you. So then I, I, I gave him my little book. I, always, I use these, carry them with me in my case, and I use them to give to uh, people who study the Bible. See? So I gave him one of the books. I said, study this out and see what you think about it. Well, I finished what I was doing in Simi Valley. I came back, and guess what? He was on the same plane going back up there. And he looked at me and he said, there's something about this. I said, yeah. I said, divine providence, isn't it? He said, yeah, it is divine providence. So then he invited me to attend his Bible study. All right? So I, I use my opportunities. I what? I use my opportunities. Okay? So every enterprise, every what? Enterprise. enterprise. So I'm writing, and I'm using the enterprise for what purpose? To reach souls. Okay? Uh, whatever you do. So now, what are the reasons that people have or that you have for not witnessing? Let's look at some of these reasons. If I were to ask you, give me a response. What, what are the reasons that people give? In your churches? Or you, or you in particular, what kind of reason do you have for not talking to people about the Lord? Huh? Okay, personal rejection. All right, what else? Huh? Not the right time. Busy. Busy. All right. Let me give you. Let me give you the the, the list that I have found uh, from Australia and Germany, and everybody has the same problem. Wherever I go, they all have the same thing. Notice notice the reasons. Afraid. Don't know enough. Someone can else can do it better. No time. That's why I pay my tithe. It's <laughs> hey, believe me, there are church members who think that their pastor is a hired gun. They pay the tithe to, to get them to sick the people, see? So they pay the tithe and say, go get them, by." All right? So that's why I pay my tithe. It's the pastor's job. It's not my gift. Too timid. People may reject me, won't know what to say. Now, these are some of the reasons that people give. But think of these reasons, okay? If you think of these reasons, uh, you realize very quickly that these are the kind of reasons that most people give, right? But let's look at 
not my give. And the reason I'm choosing this one, because this one has a, an, an aura of spirituality. You understand what I'm saying? The other ones, you know, well, I can't really say, uh, that's why I pay my tithe. And I, you, know, you, you understand what I'm saying? But this one at least has the aura of spirituality. That's not my gift, you know, after all. God, God doesn't expect all of us to be the same thing. How many of you have heard that argument? How many of you have used that argument? Okay. So let's look at it and see what, what, uh, what this is all about. First of all, not my gift. How many of you have taken spiritual uh, tests to determine your gifts? Any of you? These, this test to determine your spiritual gifts. How many of you have taken those tests over and over again? Any of you? How many of you have just taken it once? How many of you have taken it twice? All right. What did you discover when you take it twice? Does it say the same thing? No. Why not? Because it's faulty. That's why. These tests are not able, capable to determine spiritual gifts. I'll tell you why. Biblically speaking, you won't find a model for tests for spiritual gifts. In other words, can you imagine Peter getting the gift of tongues and 10 years later taking a test to discover if he could speak in tongues? You understand what I'm saying? Uh, it, there's no such model in the Bible concerning spiritual gifts and finding out whether or not you actually do have it or not. In the Bible, when God gave spiritual gifts, people had them and used them. When the gift of tongues came, did they speak uh, tongues? Yes or no? In the days of Moses, when the Spirit of God came upon the 70 elders, did they prophesy? Yes or no? Yes. When Elijah wanted to know if he can get a double portion of the Spirit of God, did he get a double portion? Yes or no? Okay. When did it happen? 10 years later? 15 years later? Okay. And also, here's something interesting. God does not allow people to be static. To be what? Static. If people come to God, they are growing. They're what? Growing. They're growing. If you're growing in your experience, then you're not static. You're adding and multiplying. If you're not adding and multiplying, you're dying. So, there's no way that you can give a test to find out something that's not static. You can take a test for something that is static, but you cannot take a test for something that's not static. Because, I want you to notice what it says. Your talents will what? Increase, Increase by what? When it shows to Christ. It also says, teach men and women how to use and does what? Increase their talents. Okay? Then it says, our talents must increase, else they will what? Diminish. Okay. Now, if you remember... In the book of Matthew, chapter 25, <clears throat> there were some uh, talents given. And uh, in fact, in several places in the New Testament, uh, you have illustrations of, of, of spiritual growth on the part of people. But do you remember the parable about the five talents, the two talents, and the one talent? Remember that? Okay. What happened with the one who had five talents? Did it multiply? How many did he end up with? Ten. How many did the two end up with? Four. How many did the one end up with? Why did he end up with zero? The Bible says that his response to the master was, I feared. I what? I feared. I feared. 
So what was the, the problem with this one that had one? It was self. It was what? Self. If you uh, consider the reality, all of the reasons that we gave are basically just focus on self. I want you to notice it says, the reason why there's so little strength among those who profess the truth is that they what? Do not exercise the ability that God has given them. Very many have wrapped their talent on a napkin and hid it in the earth. It is by using the talents that they increase. Okay? It is by what? Using the talents that they may increase. Now notice, it says, those only who are constantly receiving fresh supplies of grace will have power proportionate to their daily need and their ability to use that power. Instead of what? Instead of looking forward to some future time when through a special endowment of spiritual power they will receive a miraculous fitting up for soul winning. So instead of doing that, waiting for a special time, notice it said they are yielding themselves how often? Daily to God, that he may make them vessels meet for his use. Daily they are improving the opportunities for service that lie within their reach. Daily they are witnessing for the master wherever they may be, whether in some humble sphere of labor, in the home, or in the public field of usefulness. In other words, my friends, this idea that you have to have a special spiritual gift in order to witness, like the gift of preaching. By the way, I should tell you this. If you go through the three chapters that deal with spiritual gifts, you, if you want to write them down, you can. It's in Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. Those three chapters cover spiritual gifts, or enumerate, or list spiritual gifts. In not one of those chapters would you find the word preach. Why? Because the prophet preaches, the teacher preaches, the evangelist preaches, the administrator preaches. In other words, there are different gifts for the purpose of preaching. The one who receives the gift of tongues receives it for the purpose of preaching. preaching. In other words, all of these gifts are for the purpose of communicating the wonderful good news of salvation. That's why preaching is not a gift. Preaching comes with a package. If you give your heart to God, God gives you automatically the desire to share with others, and that's preaching. So, it comes, it comes how? It comes automatically, okay? It comes as something that, that is born in the heart to, com- to share with others what God has done for you. So, you don't have to have a special gift. How many of you have heard the wife talking to a husband and the husband saying, quit preaching at me? Is the wife preaching? Huh? <laughs> All right? So the reality is that all of us can share. Can what? Share. 
share. All of us can share, right? And not can share, but all of us should share. So, a question then. How many of us then should be preachers? All of us. All right? The next question is, how many of us are doing it? Everybody should be preaching. How many? Everybody. Everybody should be preaching, okay? So, I want you to know this then. Uh, this was the purpose for which talents were committed to us according to our ability to trade upon and cultivate these gifts. Let me share a personal testimony with you very quickly here. When I first became a Christian, Adventist Christian, um, leaving show business, I have to confess to you that I was a very poor reader. I didn't like to read. I quit school. Uh, I got left back in the fifth grade, got left back in the eighth grade. By the time I got promoted, it was because I was too old to remain in the same grade. You understand? And so, then I dropped out of school. They gave me an IQ test, and I, it, they discovered I was an imbecile, as far as the IQ test was concerned. All right? Uh, so, I dropped out of school. I mean, if you're an imbecile, why stay in school, right? You might as well go and do something else. So, I became quite uh, proficient in, in performing, but I could not read. And the only, I, I didn't have to read, because all I had to do is, if I wanted to learn a new song, I'd just listen to it on the record and play it from just listening. If I wanted to learn the words, I'd just listen to the record and learn the words. And if they were too uh, muddled, then I would try to go and find the, the, the words for it in print, so I could make sure what they were saying. But otherwise, uh, that, that was my lot. Now, when I became converted, uh, I didn't become converted because of Bible studies. I became converted because one of my brothers, or two brothers, became converted, and through their conversion, I became converted. Okay. Well, I wanted to get baptized, and the pastor said, in order for you to get baptized, you've got to study this. And I looked at that stack. It was 24 lessons, 20th century Bible study course. All right? And when I looked at that stack, uh, my heart sank. Because I knew I would have to spend the millennium with the devil studying these 24 lessons. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? In other words, I'd never get baptized. Well, so I said to the pastor without telling him, I was too embarrassed to let him know. Here I'm a professional, famous rock and roll star. You understand? Can't read. You hear what I'm saying? So I said, look, I guarantee you that I'll study these for the rest of my life. But don't hold me back. Please let me get baptized. I want to commit my life to Christ. He made a, a judgment call and was I was baptized. Now I had this problem. I gave him my word I would study. See? And I couldn't even pronounce Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> All right? And when I opened the Bible and I saw the book of Jobs. <laughs> okay. You understand my dilemma, right? So I, uh, I, I, I then got drafted immediately uh, to the military and uh, I didn't know what to do, so I borrowed seven volumes of the Bible commentary. You know how thick those books are? Okay. I took those seven volumes with me in the duffel bag, besides everything else I was carrying. And I took a dictionary with me, because I didn't know how to pronounce those words. You understand? And so, uh, for that first year in the military, every precious moment that I had, I spent trying to 
understand and study and witness. And it's, incidentally, I was placed in the headquarters company in, in Korea. They sent me in the headquarters company, and all the guys in my barracks had a master's degree. I had a master dropout, and they had masters in different areas. Okay. So, uh, but every time they wanted to deal with me, they would always talk to me about religion, which I was glad for. And so, they throw me questions, I couldn't answer them, I'd go and sweat and study, you understand? And then I come back with the answer. And then they have some more questions. I would find the answers. And I continually witness. And I didn't realize what was happening to me, but as I studied the Word of God, my brain was what? It was expanding. It was what? Expanding. I did not understand that. And finally, by the end of the year, I knew the Bible so well. I mean, I knew the Bible so well. Those guys had to watch out. You understand what I'm saying? And so they, they, they were very, very, very cautious about asking me more questions. So then I thought, well, maybe I ought to take a GED test, at least get a high school diploma. So I went to the counselor and he said, look, you ought to take some classes before you take the test. I said, I'd like to take the test to see whether or not I should even take the test. <laughs> see? I wanted to know how bad I was going to do before I ventured on it. He said, all right. So I took the test. To my shock, I passed all of them. All of them. In fact, my, my grade level was so high that I could get into college without taking bonehead English. See? And that was nice because uh, I did that and uh, got my high school diploma. And then I thought, I better take some college courses then. And I took some college courses. And um, I took Spanish, for example. I couldn't speak hardly any Spanish, but I took two, two tests. And I was greatly disappointed. Turned out that one was a D. And uh, so I was kind of disappointed. But at least I took the test. Well, I discovered later on that D was with distinction, beyond 99 percentile. So I thought, boy, this is pretty good. What the Lord's done. And so then I took some other tests, and I was humbled. <laughs> so then I went to POC. And I spent one year in POC, but I got so frustrated because I wanted to get out there and win souls. And I said, no, you've got to spend four, three more years. I couldn't bear three more years. So I quit. And I said, if you quit, you'll never get into ministry. I said, that's all right. I'm going to go and preach. So we went out, and uh, my wife and I decided we were going to preach. And one year later, I was in ministry. Amen. And I've been in ministry ever since. Now, writing, you, you just heard what I said, right? And now I'm an author of five books. How does that work out? How does that equate? God promises that your talents will what? Will increase by what? Using them. The first book that I wrote, it took me from 1978 to 1989 to finally finish it. How many years is that? All right. And I didn't get it published until 1993 as the first book. The second book, it took me six months. This last book took me three months. So what's happening? And by the way, this last book has 256 pages. So uh, something is happening up here. What do you say? Amen. All right. Your talents will what? Increase. Will increase by what? Amen. Using them. Can I say that again? Your talents will Amen. increase by using them. All right. Now, do not wait until what? Some human, Some human examination pronounces you what? Competent, Competent to work. work. All right. 
It says, Go out into the highways and hedges and begin to work for God. Seek the Lord most earnestly that you may become more and more refined, more spiritual cultured. Then you will have the very best diploma that anyone can have, the endorsement of God. Will you say amen to that? Amen. All right. So, it is clear, my friends, from the Bible and from the counsels that we have in the writings of uh, Spirit of Prophecy, that this whole idea that people have to have certain endowments in order to do certain things really is not biblical. God has roles that he has devised, but when it comes to sharing, God wants how many of us to share? All of us to share. Now, some of us may not be able to share up in public. When we get students at Mission College, you know, uh, when they arrive and we tell them, you're in the Army now, and they get kind of nervous with that, you know. And then I, I tell them, well, you're going you're gonna to have to preach and you're going to have to knock on doors. And then a lot of them tell me afterwards, man, if I knew that I was going to have to do that stuff, I would have never come to Mission College. But once they come, it changes their whole life. And uh, I've had some of the people say that uh, they were scared to death about knocking on the door. But now one of the things they love the most is to knock on doors. So... What I'm saying is that our hearts must change. Our what? But first we must accept that God has called us. We must what? Accept that what? If you don't accept that, then you're going to allow your fears to be barriers. You're going to allow what? Your fears to be barriers. And then God cannot do for you what otherwise he could do for you if you would just say, Lord, I'm scared to death. I'm shaking. Listen, my first evangelistic meeting, uh, I couldn't eat food because it would pass right through. You understand what I'm saying? And just think of it. I used to stand before thousands of people in performances and never, never was afraid. Okay? And when I come to preach, my stomach gets tied up in a gnarl, and I have to go to the restroom several times before I can get up and preach. All right? What does that tell you about my, my, uh, my nervousness? Very nervous. But I learned that by God's grace, I could improve. I could what? Improve. Now I'm not so much concerned about myself. I'm concerned about those who listen to me. So it has shifted. All right? Before I was worried about me, now I'm worried about them. Okay? So... It says, constantly improve, keep reaching higher and still higher. It is the ability to put to the tax the powers of mind and body, ever keeping eternal realities in view that is of value now. Seek the Lord most earnestly. Then you will receive the best diploma that you can receive. God can and what? And will use those who have not had a thorough education in the schools of men. A doubt of his power to do this is manifest unbelief. It is limiting the omnipotent power of the one with whom nothing is what? Impossible. In other words, my friends, if you believe God cannot use you, you are an unbeliever. All right? In other words, notice it says, if you doubt that God can use somebody who has not been educated, you are manifesting what? Unbelief. So it doesn't matter how highly educated you are or how little education you have. That's not the issue. The issue is how much you're willing to allow God to use you. That's the issue. Does that make sense to you? So girls, it's not about whether or not men will accept you. It's whether or not you allow God to use you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
It's not about whether or not you, you're fluent with your words. I can tell you, there was a young guy that I was preaching, that I, uh, well, I had a group of young people, and I wanted to teach them how to do evangelism in my church. And I was looking at this particular guy who was quite, quite uh, 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 articulate with his English, etc. And I asked the group to select the, the speaker. And I was thinking, well, they're going to select him automatically. They selected a guy that stuttered. And I was troubled by that. You understand? Because he was going to be the evangelist. And I thought, oh, you know, why did I do that? I said, well, okay, Lord, if that's what you chose, that's what we'll use. You know what's amazing? When you would sit with him and talk with him, he would stutter. When he got up on the platform and preached, he didn't stutter. I don't know what happened, but I can tell you it happened. All right? So, it's a matter, it's a matter of us getting rid of our misconceptions and believing that God can use us. So, in conclusion, then, we must do what with the fear? We must do what? We must overcome the fear. Notice, what, notice that, that all of these reasons, who is the center of them? Self. All you're thinking is about what I cannot do, rather than what God can do. So it's not about us, it's about what God can do through us. What do you say? Alright? So, we have to get rid of the fear. For God has not given us the spirit of what? Of fear, but... A power and of sound, love and of a sound mind. So, obviously then, all of us who have concerns about our limitations, etc., need to lay those concerns to the side. We ought not to depend on some human uh, exam to tell us what our gifts are. Number one, because they're not, they're not accurate. They can tell you what some latent talent you may have, but they cannot dictate spirituality. Spirituality is progressive. It is growing. Therefore, it isn't something you can test unless you're testing it all the time. In other words, if you, if you put a monitor on somebody uh, and keep that monitor on to see how they spiritually grow, then you can do that. But you, obviously, spiritual things are spiritually discerned, and God is able to give you multiple talents, not just one, but multiple talents. When I accepted the, the gospel, I not only learned to preach, I learned to write. I was able to increase my musicianship, my abilities to perform differently than I used to perform before. Uh, I've, I've developed talents to train. In other words, things that I never believed or thought I would ever be doing, I'm doing. Why? Because I put my confidence in God. I felt that He called me. I knew I was incompetent, but I knew that He was competent. And the more I trusted in Him, the more I, I dared to do for Him, the greater increases came. And today, I'm a trainer of trainers. All right? How did that work? I don't know. But praise God, He can do it. What do you say? Amen. I don't know how He takes the mind and shapes it and turns it, but I'm glad He does. But most of the problem is we hold God back. We do, do what? We hold Him back. Because we're afraid, well, how am I going to look? Let me tell you what God does, and then I got to finish. I, my, I was holding an evangelistic meeting, and uh, I began to make the appeal. There was a lot that was hanging on that success of that meeting, because I just entered into a church. The church was a humongous building with only about 130 people attending. The church had an 800 seating capacity with 130 people attending. And they asked me to go in there to see if I could turn the church around. Well, to God's glory, we did. In two years, we had increased the attendance to 550 
and attendance. So God did bless. But I was training the people to begin with. And in this first training, I, I needed success. You understand what I'm saying? So I prayed and agonized with God for that success. Well, I was, I was preaching and I was making an appeal. Because I trained some lay people to do some field work. And then I said, God will bless your, your, your labors. So I had to then do a reaping. But the only problem was, the only person they brought was a Mormon lady. Who was bringing her kids to the children's program. So... I thought, man, with just one Mormon, and I didn't know if that Mormon would respond. Well, that night I was making this appeal, and here's my appeal. I said, I asked people to bow their heads, you know, and close their eyes. You understand what I'm saying? And then I said, while well, all heads are closed and all eyes are bowed. <laughs> but I didn't catch what I said, see? So my wife and, uh, and some of the other folks uh, thought that was funny, so they began to laugh, see? So in my zeal, again, I said, well, all heads are closed and all eyes are bowed. But I didn't hear me saying that. And my wife and the team just couldn't hold it anymore, so they went outside the, the tent and, so they could get the laughter out. <laughs> then come back in there. And the third time again, I said, well, all heads are closed and all eyes are bowed, see? And uh, they said to me that I said that afterwards. I didn't say that. Yes, you did. They had to record it, so I couldn't deny it, okay? So, so I, I, uh, I did that. And uh, then I asked people to come forward. You know what happened? We baptized 29 souls in that meeting. And the meeting cost me $300. Okay, that's all, the total expense for the meeting. Well, it was obvious it was not about me. It was about who? Oh, God. Well, God. Somehow those people heard, well, all heads are bowed and all eyes are closed. But from my lips came out, well, all heads are closed and all eyes are bowed. All right? So what can God do? He can do great things for us. What do you say? Amen. It's not about us. It's about, about Him. Now, I'm going to make an appeal here. There are those of you who have been afraid. And you recognize that God wants you to overcome that fear. How many of you would like to say, Lord, give me the victory over that fear? Can I see your hands? Many of you. Amen. Listen, folk. Unless we overcome these, these, these hang-ups, we limit the Spirit of God from using us to its full potential. We must overcome. We must what? We must overcome. God wants to use you. But you must unshackle these things. These, these, Things that are holding you back. You must believe that God has called you. You must believe that God will use you. And uh, trust that the good Lord will give you the victory. Amen. Let us stand together and have prayer. Our Father, you've seen the hands. You know, Lord, that there are many, many things that the devil does to us to keep us neutralized, short-circuited, so that we cannot do what you want us to do. Forgive us for thinking of ourselves. Help us to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.